Shall we pray? Father in heaven, we thank you for this account of the conflict, the war that started in the garden and was there revealed in Job, though Job didn't know it. He didn't have the insights that we just read. He didn't know why the things that he was experiencing, the loss of his, his wealth, the loss of his children, the loss of his health. He did not know why. And yet for your glory, your glorious purposes, he passed through that valley of the shadow of death. And so we pray that you would enable us also as we go through the valley of the shadow of death, as we pass through this veil of tears, as we struggle in this warfare that's all around us that we cannot see. Enable us, O Lord, by faith to press on, to follow Jesus, and to stand, 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 stand with you in the warfare that we, we face every day. We pray that you enable us even now to set our hearts and our minds on you as there are many distractions that even now are harming us, are hindering us. Set our hearts and our minds fixed completely on Jesus. We pray that we would see Jesus, hear Jesus, and glorify him today. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ. So, how did your wrestling match go this week? You lost? Still fighting? Good. Thank you for answering back. The question is, are, were you, did you actually take and apply? For, there are some of you that weren't here, but for those of you who are, that were here, did you actually apply that one concept, and that is the awareness that there is something else going on in the things that are going on in your life, that there is an invisible enemy and there is warfare that is going on. Did, did that, in other words, there is also spiritual reasons for the things that you're dealing with? Did that take hold? Did you, did you, were you aware? Um, one of the things that was fascinating yeah, a Sunday afternoon is I went to go and edit the sermon on sermon audio, and the audio cut out at about 10 minutes into the service. And the recording, because I, I determined it was, we had uh, no space on the hard drive, so I deleted half of the stuff on the computer, and now it's working, I hope. Um, and so and it was like, the first response was, oh, spiritual warfare. The devil doesn't want that message about his devices to go out. So then I thought, well, you know, about seven or eight years ago, I preached the same sermon in Los Angeles, and I have all the recordings of all the sermons. And so I thought, oh, I'll just go ahead and pull that one up and uh, help uh, for the people in Weezer that listen to the sermon a week later. And I went to go find them. The sermon before was there, and the sermon after was there, but that particular sermon is gone. And I went, hmm. Spiritual warfare. Today, this morning, I wanted to grab a book called uh, Screwtape Letters. I know I have a copy of it somewhere in my library. Can't find it. Hmm. Spiritual warfare. One of the things that I was hoping that you took away last week 
is that awareness. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, Paul writes here. And let's read that passage. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand in against the methods, the wiles, the trickery of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. We're at war. Are we ignorant of Satan's devices? Now, if you notice, in the, in the bulletin, you have the outline. And if you were here last week, you'd be scratching your head saying, wait a second, that looks just like last week. What are you doing, Pastor? Well, what I'm doing is what I was encouraged to do during the Wednesday Bible study by my elder and by the, those there. And that is, well, I'm not going to let Satan steal that message so guess what? You're getting it again. Oh, no, really? Amen. But what I've experienced before, I've preached the same sermon in two different churches on the same day, and there were two different sermons. So you'll, you can test this. This for me is, a, I've never done this before, preached the same sermon twice in two weeks at the same church. So this is a new experience for me. I came into this uh, pulpit with fear and trepidation. Uh, please be patient with me. With that in mind, let us go ahead and let us look at that main point again. God's word declares that we are at war with an unseen enemy that is far superior in strength, skill, ability, I would add experience, than we will ever have in ourselves. Understand that? And we can't see them. We see the effects of demonic forces. And we see the tools of Satan. Those in his kingdom. The Bible says if you're not in Christ, you're in the kingdom of darkness. Your tool can be a tool. Useful tool. Our Lord commands us to be aware. Like we said last uh, two weeks ago, call to arms. Beware of Satan's devices, his trickeries, in order to wage a good warfare for and through our Lord Jesus Christ. So again, we need to be aware. Heaven rules earth now, right? That's one of the reasons why we come to church, to be reminded that the, though we're in war, though we're up against an enemy that far exceeds us in power and ability and skill, heaven rules earth now. Heaven wins. Christ won at the cross. Well, actually, he won even before the cross. He defeated Satan in the wilderness, didn't he? And continued to defeat Satan throughout his earthly ministry and definitively crushed his head at the cross. And now we wrestle against someone who is wounded, 
has received a death blow, but yet he is very powerful. So the first point, we need to be aware of the wiles of the devil, the methods of the devil. We don't want to give him glory, but we do want to be aware so that we're not ignorant of his devices. So what, uh, what is he? What is his most effectiveness? As I said last week, his greatest effectiveness is to keep hidden and make us think that our problems are only natural ones. Right? You heard that? Be aware of that. Uh, many years ago, there was an artist, a musician. His name was Keith Green, for those older folks that may have heard of him. And he decided to write a song once describing the rejoicing of the devil concerning how we don't believe that he exists or we ignore the fact that there is spiritual warfare going on. And so here's what he wrote, the devil speaking. Oh, my job keeps getting easier as time keeps slipping away. I can imitate the brightest light and make the night look just like day. I put some truth in every lie to tickle itching ears. You know, I'm drawing people just like flies. They like what they hear. I'm gaining power by the hour. They're falling by the score. You know, it's getting very simple now since no one believes in me anymore. Oh, heaven's just the state of mind. My books read on your shelf. Oh, have you heard that God is dead? I made that one up myself. They're dabbling in magic spells. They get their fortunes read. You know, they heard the truth, but turned away and followed me instead. I used to have to sneak around, but now they just open their doors. No one is watching for my tricks since no one believes in me anymore. Everyone likes a winner. With my help, you're guaranteed to win. And hey, man, you're not, ain't no sinner. No, you've got the truth within. And as your life slips by, you believe the lie that you did it on your own. But don't worry, I'll be there to help you share a dark, eternal home. A dark, eternal home. Now, it sounds somewhat mocking, isn't it? That he's mocking the devil. But do you hear, in a sense, that book, the screw tape letters that C.S. Lewis wrote? He just summarizes that book, doesn't he, in that song? If we are ignorant of his devices, guess what? We are sitting ducks. We are targets. So we need to be aware of his methods. We need to be aware of his devices. Um, Paul, earlier in chapter 4, verse 14, says that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of teaching, by the trickery of men, in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. And he's talking about men. In that verse, how much more the devil? Is he 
a deceitful plotter? Is he a trickster? And the answer is yes. He's the master deceiver. Where do we meet him in the Bible? What was he doing the first time he's, his actions are recorded in Genesis? What does he do? He comes as a serpent. He comes as a speaking animal. That should have been Adam's first clue, shouldn't it? He named the animals. He evaluated them. He should have right there said, wait a second, serpents don't speak. What are you, what's going on here? Adam's job was to guard the garden. He failed. And what did the serpent do? What did Satan? Again, I kept reading adversary. Did you notice anybody get annoyed by that in, in the passage in Job? I translated the word Satan means adversary. So I wanted to make that point. The author is saying Satan is God's adversary and yours. So what does Satan do? What does the serpent do? He starts talking to the woman. He ignores the man who's standing there, I believe, and goes to her. What does he do? Well, according to her and according to the Apostle Paul, he deceives her. He uses methods, devices. How does he start off? He starts off by saying what? Is God fair? Has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? What is he doing? He's saying God's not fair. There's something wrong with God. He doesn't say it expressly, but he is implying it. And what does she do? She says, oh, no, God said we can eat of every tree of the, of the garden. So she responds, but then she adds, there's something there that catches. She starts to doubt the goodness of God. She adds to the word of God. Nor shall you touch it, lest you die. So then what does Satan do? He bold-faced lies, the opposite. No, God said, you shall surely die. He says, God, you shall not surely die. Quotes God, puts a not in there. Bold-faced lie. And what happens? She falls for it. And so does Adam. Although he was not deceived, he sinned. And the war began. Well, God actually set the war in place, verse 15 of that book, of that chapter. Enmity, Job, between the woman and the serpent. So he's the master deceiver. And again, borrowing from J. Adams, I like what he said. It seems that Satan... The ferocity of the, en of the enemy is only intensified by the fact that he has been defeated and thrown out of heaven. That is Satan. Like a wounded lion, all the more dangerous because he sees that his end is near, Satan, or adversary, strikes out in desperate blows at whomever he can. So although the strong man, Satan, has been bound... Matthew 12, 29, Christ has triumphed over his minions and disarm, disarmed them. And even though Satan is a defeated foe, he is still a formidable enemy whose final end has not yet come. 
in the period that remains, he has determined that if he cannot defeat the armies of heaven, he will make war on the saints. And he's quoting a bunch of scriptures here. Satan's angry. Satan knows he's going to lose. But instead of giving up and rolling over and playing dead, he fights ferociously. You're aware that a, uh, a wounded animal is much more dangerous. So is Satan. He goes on to say, uh, Luther said it, his power and craft are great in uh, Mighty Fortress Him. The devil is by nature more powerful than human beings, and he is too crafty for us to withstand unaided in our debilitated sinful state. Again, Spurgeon said, he is more cunning than the wisest. How soon he entangled Solomon. He is stronger than the strongest. How fatally he overthrew Samson. Yes, and men after God's own heart, like David, have been led into most grievous sins by his seductions. We just, what did we just do? We just read Psalm 51, didn't we, earlier? We sang Psalm 51. What was the basis of Psalm 51? David's confession concerning his fall, his adultery, his murder, his covering that up for a year. So we are battling someone that outmatches us. We're called to wrestle against a foe that could flatten us in a moment if God was not involved. So we are not ignorant of who we're facing, but yet we're called to do hand-to-hand, -hand, close in combat. We are called to wrestle. We're called to fight close in. Will we get injured in the process? Hand-to-hand. -hand. Yeah. What are we called to do? To persevere in the faith. Do we have any hope? If, if the enemy is so powerful, what is our hope? If he can squash us like a bug, do we have any hope? Is there any scripture that you would go to when you start to feel like, I'm just getting overwhelmed, I can't handle this, I'm, I'm failing, I can't do it, uh, I'm going to be defeated. There's two that come to mind. One is what? Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Isn't that a comfort to know that God, the Holy Spirit, the all-powerful Holy Spirit, dwells with you? Does that bring comfort when you're being tempted? Oh, I can't handle this. I'm getting overwhelmed. Yeah, but greater is he. God is with me. Jesus said, I never leave you or forsake you. But the one that, again, I find the most fascinating is picking up on the, the gospel in Genesis. Paul writes, Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery kept secret since the world began, but now made manifest, 
And by the prophetic scriptures made known to all nations, according to the commandment of the everlasting God, for the obedience to the faith, to God alone, wise, be glory through Jesus Christ forever and ever, amen, that because of that, he says, and the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Does that bring comfort? Isn't that an amazing statement? That God will crush Satan under your feet and my feet? He who is far more powerful than we will ever imagine, and yet in and through Christ, we are greater. We can overcome. We can persevere. The victory is won. We're dealing with a mopping up operation. Very painful, tough situation. Again, think about the Marines on some of those islands in the Pacific as they fought across the Pacific. Think of Iwo Jima. How many thousands of Marines died trying to conquer this little spit of land, this little island. We fight a great warfare. And we're not talking about some theoretical thing. Do you understand that? We're talking about reality. I'm not talking about some theological concept. This comes home every day. It's happening right now. Are you aware? Are you aware that right now there's, there's a temptation to not listen to what I'm saying? Focus off on something else, right? The mind taking thought every captive, take captive every thought to the obedience of Christ. So again, what's the weapons? Where's the warfare? The warfare is earthly, is on earth. But the warfare, according to our text, is to be looked at from a heavenly perspective. For we wrestle not, verse 12, against flesh and blood, earthly things, but against principalities, powers, rulers in the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts, or armies of wickedness in heavenly places. So we're dealing with spiritual things. We're dealing with heaven. We're dealing with heavenly beings. In other words, we need to be reminded, we need to continually be reminded that heaven rules earth and that we need to look at life from a heavenly perspective. Isn't that why we're here today? to get a heavenly perspective on earth. To stop whatever we're doing on our phones or in our busy lives for a moment and to say, okay, I need to be able to properly understand what's going on around me, that I'm in, at war. And so we come and we gather in the name of Jesus and what does it say? We go to heaven. We're in heaven right now in the spirit. Why? So that we look at God, get the right perspective, so that when we look on earth, we understand better what's going on around us, what we can't see. Again, Going back to Paul's writing to the Colossians, he says in chapter 2, 
Colossians 2.15. But you being dead in, uh, beginning verse 13, but you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he is made alive together with Christ, having forgiven your, all your trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that is against us, which were contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. Jesus, as uh, what Paul is saying here, when Caesar conquered, or when the general, the Roman general, conquered an army, an enemy, he would come in back into Rome in his triumphant entry with all of his captives walking before him, the defeated army before him, and he would come in with, on his chariot. And all of Rome would be celebrating the triumph of Caesar, of the general. What Paul is saying here, Jesus is triumphant. Let me read it again. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them. But did you notice earlier, he talks about us. One of Satan's tools, one of Satan's uh, jobs is to accuse us. The accuser of the brethren, that's his title. He's the accuser. But if there's nothing to accuse us of, he's speechless, right? If you're an accuser and you go to accuse somebody and there's nothing, you have to make it up and it doesn't, it falls flat. Well, again, listen to what it says. And you being dead in your trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh, he is made alive with him, having forgiven your trespasses, have, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that is against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. What can Satan say to God about you if you're in Christ? Nothing. The accuser of the brethren is cast out. Sure, he can make noise. But do you listen? He maybe can't accuse you before God, but he sure tries to do it in your ear. Oh, you're no good. Oh, you're a failure. Oh, you're a sinner. Oh, you can't do anything. Well, I can probably multiply all the little thoughts that come in your head, right? Especially those of you that have a sense of spirit. He plays you like a fiddle. Satan does. The weapons of our warfare are designed to overcome the helmet of salvation, the shield of faith. We'll be looking at that. So we do war against spiritual forces. And we are aware that the weapons are aimed at our minds. And so Paul says, again, we read it earlier, the weapons of our warfare are not fleshly, but powerful, bringing into captivity 
our thoughts. I don't know about you, but to me, that is the greatest difficulty in my sanctification is, keep, is bringing every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. I've said this before. Have you ever tried to do that? Say, okay, I'm going to just maintain oh, less than 30 seconds. I'm off on some thought. Not necessarily sinful, but just bringing every thought captive. Can I do that? Can you do that? Have you been able to do that? More than maybe a second or two? Have every thought captive? No, it's impossible in my strength. But yet, what does God say? I can do all things. I can bring those thoughts. Yeah, maybe they went off, but let's bring them back. Recenter. So mind warfare, that's his, that's his number one uh, focus, his en- the, our enemy of our soul. Taking every thought captive. So, again, third, uh, focusing third point, specific tactics. What are these weapons, devices of Satan? Well, number one, when it comes to unbelievers, they are deceived. I'm going to say something, I don't know. Rebuke me afterwards if I, should, if I need to hear it. But in a sense, have you ever heard the phrase, a useful idiot? Unbelievers in Satan's hands are useful. They're fools, the Bible says. Fool says in his heart there is no God. They're useful in his hands. They're his tools. They're deceived. Where does that written? Well, there's a lot of places. The one that I quoted last week, I'll come back to it again. Paul writing to Titus, chapter 3, verse 3. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasure, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. Notice, notice Paul includes himself and Titus. We were all once foolish. That's the natural state. Child is born foolish. Grows up foolish. And unless God intervenes, we'll be a fool. Disobedient. Isn't that a good way to describe anyone in Adam? I serve myself, not God. Deceived. Serving various desires and pleasures. Living in malice and envy. Hateful and hating one another. Boy, that sure describes our culture. But, I love that, on the contrary, when the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us through the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, and having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a faithful saying, and these things I want you to affirm constantly, that those who have believed in God should be careful 
to maintain good works. These are good and profitable to men. Notice that contrast. But, on the contrary, God, in his kindness, in his love, he saved us from being fools, from being deceived. Do we still get tricked? Do we still get deceived? And the answer is yes. But we are becoming more aware of his devices. I hope you are. Again, I, I guess that the Lord wanted us to hear this again. And sometimes, what is the danger of hearing something over and over again? The danger is, oh, I've heard that already. Uh, I already know that. I heard one time someone say, uh, a young Christian say, well, you know, I've read the whole Bible. I don't need to read it again because I've read it all. What do you think about that thought? Why is it that you keep reading it over and over again? Well, it's like saying, well, I've eaten before. I don't need to eat anymore. <laughs> right? You die. Exactly. Thank you. Very much so. We need to feed on the Word of God. We need to, be, we need to hear it. Uh, what is that one hymn? Tell me the old, old story. I need to hear it again. And again. I need to hear the gospel. Why? Because I'm at war. And my mind and my thoughts deceive me. My enemy hates me. Again, Paul already, I, I mentioned chapter 2 last time, but let's look at verse uh, chapter 4. He says the same kind of thing, and that is in verse 17. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer conduct your life, walk, as the rest of the Gentiles walk, in the futility of their minds, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who, being past feeling, has given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. Wow. And what is he saying? Y'all were there. I was there, you were there. Again, I therefore testify of the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. What he's describing is the natural man. The people you work with, the people you live next door to, the people you interact with at the grocery store, school, whatever, if they're not in Christ, he's describing them. They're foolish. Their mind, what they think is futile. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity under the sun, apart from Christ. Because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their hearts. That's why the Holy Spirit needs to do the work of regeneration. Do heart surgery. Remove that stony heart. Put in a new heart, heart of flesh. That's the work of God. Pray for those who are bound in that, those that are deceived, in bondage, though claiming to be free. They're in the kingdom of darkness. Well, what about the believer? What about you and I? We're... 
his enemy number one, right? You are his target. You were once his captive, and he didn't pay you much mind, but now adversary, Satan, hates you because he hates Christ. And attacks you because in attacking you, he's attacking Christ. He's nipping at Christ's heel. Think of Saul. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me, Jesus said. And Saul said, who are you talking about? When you touch the apple of my eye, when you touch my child, you attack me. So what does he do? What is his methods? Well, like I said last time, he likes to entice us to sin and then attack us for sinning. Right? He sets us up and knocks us down. Fiery darts of fear, fiery darts, thoughts, accusations, whatever, and then we sin and then he hammers us. We listen to him. Or we listen to others who are instruments being used, tools in his hands. He causes us to delight in something, and then when we fall, then he causes us to despair, crash and burn. He sets us up and knocks us down. So what does Paul say? We are not ignorant. We shouldn't be ignorant that that's what he does. Again, though, as a pastor, what I've seen in the, the greatest or the most effective tool in Satan's arsenal is the wedge, divide and conquer. When we were living in L.A., we drove a half an hour to get to church. Without a doubt, unless we were on our guard, a conflict arose in the car between my wife and I driving that half, that, that, in that half-hour period of time. It got to be almost comical. We got to a point where we said, when we got in the car, let's not talk for the next 30 minutes. Because Satan is here with us, and he is going to disturb and distract and divide us before we go to church. Now we only have a mile away, so we don't, there's not enough time, but we still don't talk for, one, for five minutes while driving here because we've learned his devices. Anybody else have that problem, experience that problem? Divide and conquer. Use the wedge. He's the accuser of the brethren. He wants us to delight in sin, and then he, just, he brings us down. He works. Someone said earlier, uh, uh, this past couple weeks, or Pastor, you've been using the word distraction a lot lately. And isn't that what this can be? I've been thinking about that conversation. I've got it here going off on my every time, bing. And I do I really need to look at my watch every time there's a message? Sometimes it's a very important event going on, and this thing goes off, and I'm distracted. My mind goes somewhere else. We live in a world, we live in a lot of distraction, diversion. So what do we do? How do we 
um, how are we victorious? Hopefully you heard this last week. Number one, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. How do you overcome the wicked one? Paul, Paul says, even our faith. Right? Trusting in the Lord. Taking up the whole armor of God. Taking up God's word. Hiding it in our hearts. Applying it to our lives. Going to God in prayer. Uh, he's going to be talking about that when we get into the whole armor. The last piece of armor is prayer. I liken prayer to uh, the artillery. Effective tool. Prayer. The word of God in prayer. Be intimately acquainted with your own heart. I mentioned that one earlier. Do you? How much time do you spend examining yourself? Paul says we're supposed to do that. Do you? Do you know your heart? Do you know where your weaknesses are? We all have weaknesses. Are you aware of your besetting sins? Are you aware of how Satan plays you, tricks you, looking for scripture now to shore up that area? Sanctification, right? The work of the Holy Spirit, making us more like Jesus. I mentioned last week a book, this book, The War Within, A Biblical Strategy for Spiritual Warfare. I actually found this on the bookshelf over here. I'm going to put it over there. Anyone who want to borrow it, it's a very good book on it. There's another copy of this book, Spiritual Warfare and the Believer's Life by Charles Spurgeon. That's, all, that's sitting over there right now. A um, couple different tools. If you want to grab it, I'll, like I said, I'll bring that, set that out. Borrow it and return it. Um, read God's word with observation. And on and on. There's many ways. We'll be talking about some of those next week as we get into the armor of God, what they are and how to use them. So with that, let's close. Father in heaven, we do thank you once again Man plans his ways, but you direct the steps, and uh, it is your will for us to hear this same message over again. Why? Because it's important. Because we are at war. Yes, you started the war. You will finish the war. You, will, you are the victorious one. But yet, we're in the midst of it. We're in the trenches. We pray, O oh Lord, that you would grant us the grace to take up the whole armor of God and to stand, having done all to stand, standing in and with Jesus. We ask for your grace in this endeavor. In Jesus' name, amen.